You're listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. Happy Easter, everyone. And it's uh, Resurrection Sunday, and we are celebrating uh, Jesus' resurrection today. And what I thought I'd do this morning is um, I'm going to preach a message which is a variation of a message that I preached probably about five or six years ago, and it's around the scripture in John 3.16. And I just thought it would be a good thing just to go over that again, just a reminder um, of what Jesus has done for us, and it will not only, not only will it present us with the opportunity of coming into a relationship with the Lord today, but also it will equip us if we want to speak to other people about Jesus and share our faith with them. This is going to help you to know what to say. But let me just start by saying this, is that all ministry and all life flows out of a relationship with Jesus. So let me ask you, how is your relationship with Jesus today? How's it going? Are you still in love with Jesus? Do you still desire to spend time with the Lord? Or is it a chore? Is it something where, oh, I've got to pick myself up by the collar and pray and read the Bible and make time for the Lord? Or is there a genuine desire in your life to be with the Lord? And uh, if there isn't, let me encourage you to open up your hearts this morning and allow the Lord to do a work in your life and to draw you in uh, closer to Him. John the Baptist uh, said that Jesus would not only uh, baptize us with the Holy Spirit, but also with fire. And being baptized with fire is something that should mark all, every Christian on earth. It is, um, it's part of the plan of God that He pours out His Holy Spirit in our lives and fills us with fire. So a passion and a zeal for the kingdom of God. And that our, our excitement and our enthusiasm about the Lord would overflow into the world around us. So that wherever we go, that's the thing about fire, is that fire is contagious. You can't be near a fire without feeling heat or without getting set on fire yourself. The closer you get, the more, the more chance there is of you actually catching fire Yourself, And that's what we should be like as Christians, on fire for the Lord, so that when people come into contact with us, they either feel warm or they catch on fire themselves. That's Christianity 101. That's not for something that's down the line as a church. That was day one. And the church started not with great preaching, and great preaching is wonderful. The church didn't start with great singing with an incredible band. It started with a prayer meeting and with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and fire. And, and you see the result of that is someone like Peter gets up, he preaches to a crowd of thousands, and 3,000 people get saved on that very first day. And they say, they say that the, the words of Peter cut them to the heart, and they said, what must we do to be saved? That is the result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and having fire. It takes a fisherman and it turns him into a preacher. Without four years of Bible college, 
without practicing how to preach, learning how to prepare a sermon, learning how to do public speaking. It's just one encounter with the Lord, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then bang, he is on fire for the Lord and impacting thousands and thousands of people. And let me just say this, that the world today needs a church on fire. It desperately, desperately needs an on-fire church. We, we are living in unprecedented times. I mean, there are, there are incredible things going on around the world. There are, there are wars that we never thought would happen. There are technological breakthroughs that are happening now that people never even dreamed possible. Um, you know, and it's just, it's an, it's an age where incredible things are happening, but people have more opportunity than ever to be distracted from the Lord, and it ne the world needs a church that's on fire. Not just a church that's going to tell them the gospel, but demonstrate it. Not just say, hey, we believe in a God who heals the sick, but actually we see the sick healed. Amen? Amen. That's, that's Christianity. <laughs> anyway, back to the message. All righty. I really believe if we open to the Lord, He will touch our hearts this morning and He will fill us. He wants us to leave here today where our words are seasoned with fire. When, when the disciples met Jesus after the resurrection uh, on, on that road to Emmaus, they didn't know it was Him. They were talking with this person and He was explaining the Old Testament, how you can see Jesus in the Old Testament and then eventually their eyes were opened that it was Jesus, and he left them. And they, they turned to each other and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? That's when your words are seasoned with fire, that's what happens to people. When you speak to them about the Lord, their hearts burn inside of them. They go, oh, I'm feeling the conviction of, of my sin." I'm feeling the drawing of the Lord. I can understand the truth of what you're sharing to me because there's an anointing on us. It's not about how we share and what we share. It's about whether we have the Holy Spirit and fire in our lives or not. So if you have a Bible, you, well, you know the verse, John 3.16. It's possibly the most quoted verse in the Bible. And somebody said, Never has so much been said to so many in so few words. Let's read it. I don't know whether you've got it up on the, on, the, on the board there. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that anyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Amazing, amazing uh, verse. And... It looks so simple, but you, you, could, you could do a study on this verse for a thousand years and never really get to the depths of what it truly means. It's, there is so much that God is saying to us through this. So much of, of what he, how he loves us, what Jesus did on the cross. And, and it should stir something of an excitement for the power of the gospel. An excitement about God's wonderful plan for the people of this great nation and the nations of the world. So what I'm going to do is just break it down verse by verse and just comment on each individual section. 
For God so loved the world. That's the beginning point. That's the starting point. It's God loving us. It's not us seeking God. It's God seeking us. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they hid from God. And God came and looked for them and said, where are you? He, he was showing he's a God who seeks us. And I was recently doing a, an online uh, course where they were talking about evangelism and talking about how God, when we start speaking to people, God is already at work in their hearts, way before we even get there. We kind of put the pressure on ourselves and say, I hope I said the right thing, I hope I did the right thing, I hope I quoted the right verses. We forget God is already working in that person's life, and we just, we just go there and start sharing about our love for the Lord, and something's already happening in their life. Don't forget that. God loved the world. And, and the incredible thing, he loved a world that was dying in sin. A world that had turned their backs on their creator. A world that had abandoned their God. An unlovable world. Really. You know, when we look around, there are people that are hard to love. There are some people that are easy to love. But God loved everybody. Even the hard to love people. Like me and you. <laughs> Amen. We just, we just can't get our minds around it, really. Trying to, trying to understand the love of God is, is like trying to, to measure the ocean with a teaspoon. <laughs> you, know, you probably could do it. Well, I don't, know, I don't think you could, but, <laughs> but it's almost... It, I know mathematically it's probably possible, but man, trying to measure the love of God, is in, it's impossible. His love is infinite. And, and part of our problem is that we live in a finite world. Everything about who we are and what happens in our life has a beginning and it has an end. Our life on earth has a beginning and an end. Uh, the way we think, a day has a beginning and an end. Our careers have a beginning and an end. Every time we have a meal, it has a beginning and it has an end. <laughs> we start school and prep, and then 13 years later, we end school. Everything about our lives has a beginning and it has an end. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 2 says, There is a time to be born and a time to die. And so when we try and understand something... We come with this mindset of a start and a finish, a beginning and an end and a middle. And we look at God, and God goes, I don't have a beginning and I don't have an end. I just am. And we go, oh, I don't know where, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know where to put that. And God goes, my love for you doesn't have a beginning and an end. It's just infinite. And we're like, how do I even measure that? How do I even know how much that is? We struggle with this. When the world began, he was already there. <laughs> and he created you and I, and he poured out his love upon us. And the only way we can begin to understand the love of God is for him to give us a revelation. That's the only way. When God gives us a revelation, we start to see and start to understand in some small way of how much God truly loves us. You know, we, 
we struggle even to love ourselves sometimes, you know, when we're angry. When we're doing well, when we're doing the right thing, it's easy. But what about when we're angry? What about when we're messing up? What about when we're impatient, when, we, when we're hangry? <laughs> you're hungry and you're angry. <laughs> you know, but God, God knows the thoughts of our minds. And He still loves us. He knows our worst thoughts. <laughs> When we're putting on our church face and we come here and meanwhile something else is going on in the back of our minds, God still loves us. Amen? And it doesn't matter what you've done, He loves you. And so God makes the first move. He reaches out. He reaches down from heaven to where we're at and He seeks us out. And He's seeking out the people of our city. It's amazing. It really is. I believe God looks at our city. He sees the broken. He sees the proud. He sees the rich. He sees the poor. He sees the homeless. He sees the one living in a mansion. He sees the person worshipping an idol. He sees the person in depression. He sees the atheist. And he sees the rebellious. And he loves them. And he has a plan to save them. And he's done something incredible in order to make it possible. For God so loved the world. Second part, that he gave his only son. Think about that. He, he gave his only son. Not like he had ten sons and he picked the worst one and said, I'll give that guy. He had one son who was absolutely amazing and he was prepared to give that up. See, Jesus, Jesus didn't come to earth to have a look around and see what he made. Oh, I think it'll be interesting. You know, I'll you know, build a Legoland or something, and I think, oh, it'll be, I wonder what it's like to live in Legoland. So I'll make myself small and I go in. That's not why Jesus came. He didn't come here to experience what it's like to live on earth. He came to die. Think about that. He came as a substitutionary sacrifice for sin. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, Jesus went to the cross, an innocent man, done nothing wrong. And he willingly allowed the sin of all humanity to be put on him. Every single wrong thought that we've ever thought, every single wrong action that we've ever done, you know, everything... The worst sinner in the world, that sin was taken and put on Jesus and he took the blame for it all. Having been an innocent, totally innocent, he took the blame for all of that sin. Incredible, eh? Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I think that, you know, the physical pain that Jesus endured on the cross must have been excruciating. But the spiritual pain would have been even greater, I, I believe. He was hung on the cross and beaten to within an inch of his life. And even while that was happening, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And there's, that's an incredible truth. Uh, Hebrews talks about, I think it's Hebrews, where it says, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, our blood cries out for revenge. 
Someone murders someone I know, I want payback. But God was murdered on the cross. His blood cries out for forgiveness. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Isn't that amazing? Let me read to you Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7, from verse 7 to 10. It says, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shearers, he didn't open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He'd done no wrong, and he'd never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal, and he was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants, and he will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. What an incredible passage of Scripture to think that it was the Lord's good plan to crush his own son. Why? Because he, was, he knew that was the, the thing that needed to happen in order to redeem mankind, in order to save us and bring us into this wonderful relationship with the Lord. Remember I said last week, I think it was last week and the week before, that God's ultimate plan is for a big family. That's what he wants. He wants a big family. And so this is part of his plan. In order for him to bring people close to him, there, there has to be forgiveness of sins. There has to be a sacrifice. But who can pay the price? No human has ever lived a sinless life until Jesus came along. And God says, okay, you can be the substitute. You've done nothing wrong. You don't deserve to die. Everyone else does. But if you're willing, you can take their place. And that's what happened with the Lord. The punishment that we deserved, he took. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that anyone, everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him, you see, we use the word believe in a very watered-down sense today. You ask people if they're born again, they look confused. <laughs> if you had to ask me, am I married, I would give you a yes or no answer. I would never go, oh, I think so. No one would. You know, yes or no. And it's the exact same thing with being born again. If your answer is, I think I am, or if you say, yes, I go to such and such a church, let me tell you, you are not born again. I'm just telling you the truth. It should be an unreserved yes, I know. Because when we get born again, one of the things that God does, He gives the Holy Spirit as a seal which guarantees our inheritance. That is the assurance when you have the Holy Spirit, you know that you know that you know that you know that you're born again. There's no doubt. <laughs> In actual fact, I think a lot of times when people say they believe, what they really mean is they hope. They're hoping. 
they're going to get to heaven. They're hoping they're in the right place with God. Because deep down, they're not absolutely convinced. And you can be. But I just want to say to you that I'm standing before you here as living proof that Jesus saves. Living proof that the Bible is real. When I was 19 years, I, I, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I got radically transformed. My whole life turned upside down. I'm, without even trying, things started changing in my life. I, I had this relationship with God. Before I gave my life to Jesus, before I was born again, I can remember praying and just wondering, you know, is God even real? Does, does He even hear my prayers? I felt like I was just shooting a prayer up there somewhere and hoping for someone to answer. And I remember such a big difference. Having been born again, it's like now I can hear God. Now I can pray and know that He hears me. Now I can feel His presence. It was so different. Not only that, but you know, many of you know, in 2012, I, I had a double stroke and nearly died. And Jesus healed me. I don't have time to go into all the details of that. But that's, that's the reality of the Bible. God heals. I remember chatting to, I think he was a, uh, no, actually he wasn't a pastor. I'm not sure who he was. But he was saying like, you know, God doesn't heal anymore and he doesn't do this. I said, listen, sit down. Let me tell you what's happened to me. And I shared with him the whole thing. God still heals today. He's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Nothing's changed. The God is no less powerful today than he was when he split the Red Sea with Moses. He can do the same thing today if he wants. But do you believe it? Or are we just trying to convince people around us, hey, I'm okay. <laughs> They're not going to be standing there one day when you have to stand before the Lord. I am absolutely convinced that Jesus has the power to save and heal. And equally, I am absolutely convinced that every word in this book is from God. This, this own book, in sec, I think it's sec, or 2 Timothy 3.16, or 1 Timothy 3.16, every word of this is God-breathed. Now, I believe that. Do you? Or you just, well, I hope so. <laughs> I'm not hoping for the best. I've walked a journey with God and I've found it all to be true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What does that tell me? There are only two options for every single human. Eternal life or eternal death. That's it. There's no fence. There's no middle ground. There's no, hey, what else have you got in the brochure? <laughs> you know, like a different destination. There's eternal death or eternal life. And that's why there's an urgency in Christianity. Because the Bible says we've only got one life to live. And what, what, we, what we do in this life matters. And we're, how we respond to the Lord, it matters. It's not like Hinduism 
where you've got reincarnation, the wheel of life going round and round and round and round. And hey, if you don't get it right in this life, come back in the next one and try again. And if you don't get it right then, try again, try again. And you have infinite chances to get your life right with God. Christianity says, no, you have one life. Hebrews says, it is appointed for every single person once to die, and after that comes judgment. <laughs> That's it. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet God? And if I had to say to you, if God, if you stood before God today, and God said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? <laughs> What would you say? Well, I'm a good person. Very common. And God says, well, the thing is, being a good person is not really the point. First person to enter heaven was most likely the thief on the cross next to Jesus. How did he get in? <laughs> if it's all about being a good person. God says, what if he says to you, the thing about heaven is that it's for family only? Then what are you going to say? Are you part of God's family? That's what it's really all about. Jesus, Jesus came to open that door so that we can join or be adopted into the family of God. He came to save us. The very next verse after John 3.16, verse 17, said, For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. That's why He came. He didn't come to point a finger and say, You're not in, you're not in, you're not in, you're not in. He came to save people. That was His motivation. And so people who say, Well, how can a loving God send people to hell? That's the wrong question. The right question is, how can people, when they, when they hear that God came to save them, reject this offer of salvation? How can we do that? We've got to be madmen to do that. Amen? <laughs> God has done everything possible to save us. He sent His only Son. What more can He do to die? I mean, God literally died to save us. What more can we ask, God, ask of God? And how can we point a finger at God and say, but how dare you send people to hell? You say you're loving. Look at what he's done in order to save us. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Heaven is for family only. It's for sons and daughters of God. And being a son or daughter is not about trying to act like one. It's about trusting in what Jesus has done. Scripture says all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We have to come to that realization. Hey, um, I've got a problem. We're all, we're, all, we've, we're all in this boat. And there's nothing that we can do to, to get ourselves out of it. And so God reaches down and he says, listen, this is what I've done. I've sent my son Jesus to die, to take that sin and he's paid the price so that you don't have to. Do you accept or don't you? That's what it all boils down to. Our response to that 
is to come before the Lord and just say, Lord, I repent of my sins, but I thank you that you sent Jesus, died in my place. Thank you that his blood washes me clean of my sins. And in doing that, we become born again by the Spirit of God. And now that we've received forgiveness of our sins, now we, we have access to God. Now we can enter into the presence of God with boldness. Not arrogance, because there's nothing we've done. <laughs> but it costs Jesus' life for us to be in the presence of God. How do I know that when I die, I will be with God? Not wishful thinking. The Bible teaches that when Jesus died, he was buried. And on the third day, he was raised back to life again. Now, it wasn't like Jesus wasn't fully dead. He was dead. Dead, 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 dead. <laughs> Cut off from the Father. Imagine that. For the first time in eternity, the Godhead is severed. Incredible. And he was raised back to life again. And the Bible says, as the first fruits of many. So because Jesus is raised to life, because he's alive and well today, because when we get born again, we now have this living, breathing relationship with Jesus, we can be sure that one day when we die, we too will be raised from the dead. Amen. And that's that's the story of Easter. Good Friday remembers the cross, Jesus' death, his burial, and Easter Sunday remembers his resurrection. And praise the Lord, the resurrection happened. Otherwise, yes, our sins would be forgiven, but we'd have no future with the Lord. We'd be dead in the grave forever. Yes, no punishment because of sin, but that would be it. But because of the resurrection, we have new life in God. And we know that we're going to be one of them because we've put our full trust in the Lord. We believe without a shadow of a doubt that God is good for his word. He will honor his promises. And that's, that's the gospel. That's the truth. And you know what? I don't have to prove it. <laughs> that's a wonderful thing because the Bible says all I have to do is proclaim it. We don't have to prove a thing to anybody. Oh, you know... Prove it to me. No, I've said it to you. It's up to you. You believe it or don't. If the Holy Spirit is working in your heart right now, right now, if God is working in your heart and you're not saved, you know it will be happening. And I know because I've been there, you will be burning inside. Your heart will be palpitating. That's God speaking to you right now. And he wants you to respond. He's saying, look at what I've done. How, what are you going to do today? What kind of a decision are you going to make? Are you going to walk out of the door and reject me again for the hundredth time? Or is this the day that your life's going to change? You're going to lay it all down and say, God, I surrender everything to you. From now on, when, when I, I remember when I gave my life to the Lord, I, I, I walked to the front and I just said to God, I'm laying down everything. Every single thing. I don't care where you want me to go, what you want me to say, who you want me to marry, what work you want me to do. I'll do anything. Just save me. <laughs> and that's when you respond to the Lord like that, man, he comes and he turns your life upside down. And looking back, you know, my biggest regret in life, and this is the truth, that I didn't do it earlier, that I waited until I was 19 that was the first thought. I thought, why did I wait so long? I'd heard this message, I don't know how many times before. 
Why did I wait? Why did I think I could live a life that's better without God than with God? It's lunacy to think that the God who created us, we can live a better life without Him than live with Him. It's madness. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to close this meeting now. We've got one more song and we're going to have communion. But maybe there's some people here this morning that want to respond to this and we're going to do it a little bit differently. I'm not going to I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. But I am going to pray a prayer. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking you this morning, if you are genuine about the Lord saving you this morning, then pray this prayer from the bottom of your heart. And if you do that, He will save you instantly. He will. You can actually see it in people's eyes. I've prayed this prayer hundreds and hundreds of times with people, and you can see some people pray it, nothing happens. And other people, you can see a change in their face. Because when you get saved, something incredibly powerful happens. God comes and lives inside of you, and you can see that life. It's from death to life. <laughs> Romans 10 verse 13 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, if you're here today and you say, God, I need to be saved. If you call on God's name, call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. He'll never reject you if you call out to him. So we're going to pray a prayer. And then once we prayed that prayer, we're going to break bread. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, you know, if God is touching your life this morning, your heart will be wanting to jump out of your skin. It'll be wanting to burst out of your chest. You'll think, what the heck is going on with me? Why am I feeling like that? That is, that is the Lord touching your life right now. And He wants to save you. Don't reject Him. None of us know how much time we've got on earth. This could be all of our last day. We don't, we don't know. So don't, don't, don't reject the Lord. Respond to him now. I'm going to pray a prayer, and you just you pray these words out. Mean them from the bottom of your heart, and the Lord will come, and He will save you. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for your death on the cross. I know today that I am a sinner, that I cannot help myself, but I know today that you took all my sin upon you. And you died on that cross in my place. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive my sin. And I believe that you have forgiven me now. I, I repent of all my wrongdoing. All the wrong things that I've said, all the wrong things that I've done, all the wrong things that I've thought, I repent of them all. I turn away from that now. And Lord, I cry out to you for forgiveness this morning. I repent for trying to live my life my own way, for thinking that I can live a life independent of you. Today, I want that to change. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want you to live in me and through me. I want my whole life to be turned around by you. I'm surrendering the steering wheel of my life and saying, Lord, you drive, 
you take over. You choose the destination. You choose the path I must take. From now on, I'm living for you. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done on the cross. I believe it from the bottom of my heart. I believe you died, you were buried, and you rose again. I believe it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer sincerely from the bottom of your heart, you will be feeling something happening in your life right now. And we're going to break bread now. But I just want to invite you just to, to go up, uh, take, take the grape juice and the bread, and just as you, as you come back to your seats and you take that bread and, and the grape juice, we're doing it in remembrance of what Jesus has done. He said, when you do this, think of my body that was broken for you. Think of the blood that I was poured out as I gave my life for the forgiveness of your sins. And what we're doing here, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. So if you are in that covenant, then come and share with us. If you're not, that's fine. You've been listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. 